0: There's a whole plethora of environmental issues that we're trying to tackle, uh, where you are, US, I, Australia, some of the two worst countries for uh, such measures, second and third most endangered black species. So <laughs> there's, there's a long way to come, uh, but the way I frame it is big, big evil villain we're trying to overcome is in human nature. So how we view our places, humanity, as people on this planet, I think something which is really important to realise and which has been lacking over the 50, 60 years of constellation to date it has been some of that perspective shift, some of the, shift in the mindset and to realise that we as humans are doing injustice on the world we're not respecting our place in these natural systems we're not understanding how much we're reliant on nature I think, I think COVID, in many ways, has been somewhat a mixed blessing in that respect. And that, yeah, despite all the damage it's caused, it has shown us just how connected we are with natural systems. So you know, being a zoonotic disease coming from this illegal wildlife trade, bats, like pangolins, the same so implicated. Uh, that means <laughs> that finally we come to realise uh, just how deeply, intimately connected we are uh, with the health and the station of ecosystems.
1: Hello and welcome back to the Hero Show. My name is Richard Matthews and today I am live on the line with Elliot Connor who is out of uh, Sydney, Australia. There's um Elliot? Hi there. Hi there. Yeah, I'm
0: I'm here. It's morning for me. So, it's
1: my second call for the day, uh, but looking forward to <laughs> a wonderful
0: conversation and sharing a bit of my story.
1: Awesome. Yeah, yeah. And for uh so I want to do a quick introduction for our audience who may or may not have heard of you before. Um so Elliot is probably is uh, t- t- to date our youngest guest here on the Hero Show. You said you're uh, 17 years old and you are in charge of the Human Edge Projects, which is a co- environmental volunteering and conservationist uh, group that you work in, I think, 104, 105 countries right now. You're also a podcast host, a TEDx speaker, speaker, conservationist, basically a change maker. So, what I want you to start off with for me, Elliot, is tell me a little bit about who you are. What is it that you do? What's your, what's your primary, like your service offerings, I guess, for, um, and I know mostly it's in the, uh, um, the non-for-profit space, but let us know a little bit about what it is that you actually offer to the marketplace, um, and who your primary, uh, like beneficiaries are.
0: Yeah. So I say my goal is to reframe the human relationship with nature. And the way human nature projects does that is to, create a community within the conservation sector uh, so acting as an entry point uh, for the public into environmental volunteering uh, providing a, a easy tailored route uh, into uh, creating change uh, creating opportunities for people to make the world a better place say uh, in the environmental uh, sector so uh, it started uh, as a result of my experience and many others of finding it very, very challenging uh, to find uh, these sort of placements, these sort of opportunities. Uh, many of the larger names uh, failed uh, to offer a route in for the public. So, uh, Human Nature Projects is acting as the solution to that. Uh, so, providing a tailored volunteering experience to people across 100 odd countries. Awesome. And do you head that project up yourself? Yeah, so I founded it twelve, thirteen months ago, uh, thereabouts, and been running it ever since the CEO.
1: Awesome. That is really incredible and quite the, what would you call it? Um, it is advanced for someone who is, you know, sixteen, seventeen years old when you started that. It's really cool. Hope my uh, my my children take after uh, someone like you and get onto the uh, the business world early because that's you know, they're the ones who uh, change the world, right? So Yeah. Um What I want to find out from you then is your origin story, right? So every good comic book hero has their origin story. It's the thing that made them into the hero they are today. And we basically want to hear that story. Were you born a hero Have you always wanted to do this kind of work? Um, Were you bit by a radioactive spider that made you want to get into the volunteering aspect of uh, conservationism and really running a non-for-profit organization? Um, and, you know, I normally ask if you started in a job, but I think you might be a little too young to have started in a job. So, uh, you know, basically we want to know where you came from. How did you get to this point? You know, 12, 13 months into being the CEO of a, uh, a conservationist volunteering organization that's operating in 105 countries.
0: Yeah, it's a good question. And I think it depends how far back you want to look. So I've always been interested in nature, fascinated by natural history uh, brought up in that context, so you might be able to tell from the accent, uh, but I'm British uh, by birth. So, uh, bird watching, long walks in the countryside is very much part of that culture. And moving over to Australia a dozen yeah. years ago, uh, I uh, had many more opportunities to follow that. Uh, thankfully, much more green space here in Sydney, and that allowed me to keep up that passion. Uh, but yeah, uh, for the past four years, five years now, I've been volunteering very extensively in environmentalism in this space, mostly locally to start off with. Uh, But then about 18 months ago, so in January of 2019, I spent a month volunteering at a rescue and rehabilitation centre for birds of prey, hedgehogs, bats, all sorts of things. Whatever creatures could be found in this remote spot in southern France. <laughs> so yeah, it, it was uh, it was a nice way to spend some holidays. It was slightly chilly, <laughs> and i I passed the time. I spent some of the long winter nights uh, over there uh, researching the operations of about two hundred major environmental NGOs. Mm. So it was my way of networking, seeing what was going on. Uh, seeing how I could better integrate myself into these spaces. And (laughs) that led me, uh, almost unintentionally, uh, to the conclusion that my experience, as mentioned earlier, I found it quite challenging as a minor, as a youth, trying to get into these circles. Uh, But it showed me that that probably wasn't uh, all that uncommon. Uh, So uh, many of these larger names, these figureheads of the space, were struggling to engage volunteers, to uh, communicate uh, what they were doing to members of the public, to involve them in that. And uh, that sort of led me down a path. of several months, uh, slowly coming up with some of the frameworks and the philosophies, uh, which are now central to Human Nature Projects, my charity, uh, which has been running since late June, early July of last year. Uh, so, yeah, <laughs> that that was... Probably a pivotal moment for me, a turning point, uh, which led me to start up this organization. And doing that, starting up human nature projects, has certainly transformed my life. Uh, so uh, that's that's the abbreviated version of how it all came about. Uh, but obviously, it's a process of many, many years.
1: Yeah. Slowly yeah, that's down. really cool. It sounds. Uh, it reminds me a little bit of my my son. He's ten years old, and he has been obsessed with birds of prey since he was about three. Okay. um and he uh he wants to be a falconer like really really badly wow. um and uh it was funny i remember when we went to the san diego zoo a whole bunch when he was uh real real little and uh he was on a first name basis with the uh the head bird trainer over there for all the birds of prey um and i remember like one of the first shows we went to he you know they asked for questions like you know who has questions and he's like he's like my you know uh, I have a question. I have a question. Of course, he's three, right? So, you know, everyone thinks he's cute and adorable. And his first question to the bird trainer there is, are you an ornithologist? Right? And at three years old, he could pronounce that word and knew what it meant. Um, the trainer like did a double take. He's like, wait, can you repeat that? Are you an ornithologist? And he's like, no, I just train the birds. And he's like, well, what good are you? I want to talk to the ornithologist on staff. Um, so anyways, he got to meet the, uh, the San Diego Zoo's ornithologist and all that fun stuff. And like right now, he's actually got like a countdown timer for his, he can start falconry training at 12. Um, So he he can tell you how many days he has left until he turns 12 when he can start his falconry training. Um, So I know falconry is sort of in the, it's under the umbrella of conservationism, um, and it helps uh, raise birds and do some other things. And I don't, he knows more about it than I do, but you know, he might be on a, (laughs) a similar path. So it's cool to see that uh, that you're you're doing that, and so your your organization, what you what you help people do is you help you help uh, the public get involved in volunteering in different conservation projects.
0: Yes. So the way it's set up is our volunteers can engage sort of on the two levels. So they're part of a national team, so a collective of volunteers within their country who obviously then engage in. Uh, projects relevant to the community uh, so tailored to whatever uh, the needs may be uh, for that particular country obviously the environmental issues will be very different uh, depending on where back in the world you are uh, what the context may be uh, and then they can engage with international working groups uh, which are addressed skills based uh, so uh, there's about ten of those and now self nominate for those depending on how they want to Contribute so, uh, where they're coming from, uh, what skills they want to utilise for the cause, and uh, that very much allows them to help out in a way which is relevant to them. And I think that's uh, quite important. Obviously, uh, working with volunteers, working in a space uh, where such a diverse range of people is required, uh, there's such a range of skill sets you need, and such a range of people from all sorts of backgrounds, uh, which necessary to make the whole succeed
1: like complete uh, projects yeah,
0: yeah. it's so effective um but,
1: so my uh, my question for you then is is probably an obvious one for you know our, our audience is mostly entrepreneurs is with uh um with a nonprofit organization like this how do you drive revenue to pay the bills right to make sure that you can actually continue doing what you're doing is it all donation based or do you guys do other things that drive revenue so how does how is the revenue game played in this space? Yeah, so Human Nature Projects is all about
0: integrating people into conservation. Uh, so it's a lot of crowdfunding, actually, uh, which helps. Uh, I think it allows our volunteers to become invested in the issues, uh, to uh, know that that's behind it, uh, to be part of uh, that process. So I think it fits in quite neatly uh, with some of the mission, some of the vision of the projects uh, but lot of crowdfunding and uh, for some of the larger projects then that's grants uh, from uh, other bodies whatever they may be uh, it's either on the national scale or on the international scale uh, depending so on So have
1: you was. you had to learn how to uh, manage the whole grant process and actually working with the government <laughs> agencies to get grants Yeah yeah it's I, how, of do you, how, how do you find that when, when you're the uh, when when you're under the legal age for signing documents and that kind of stuff it's a nightmare. It's a nightmare. Uh,
0: when I first had to register Human Nature Projects, uh, that was a long, long process. So uh, gaining that charity status, obviously. Uh, I'm 17, so I was 16 at the time. very much underage uh, for uh, being
1: on a board. Even. Yeah, yeah your, your, your signature is not legally binding until you're 18 in mm-hmm. most countries. Yeah, it was, it was a logistical nightmare to get that
0: set up but slowly, slowly working out how it all fits together
1: and coming up with the most efficient processes to get things done. Yes. <laughs> so with the uh, the crowdfunding, are you guys using some of the big platforms like Kickstarter and Indiegogo or do you have your own crowdfunding platforms that you're, you're developing yourselves?
0: Uh, it's largely internally run. Uh, so I think that helps simplify things. Uh, but the benefit of being a nonprofit is we get a lot of that software for free. I was suddenly discounted in many cases. Uh, So uh, we've got various tech platforms that we utilize uh, for various activities and depending on what we're running or say this major campaign, major drive we're doing uh, as we did. uh, A drive with Just Giving last year, uh, which uh, was one of those platforms we used. uh, But uh, it depends. It depends. And we'll move between a few different ones uh, seeing which works best. Uh, but largely it's just internally run so that simplifies things right
1: awesome so so from an organizational standpoint how many people do you guys actually have on on staff now that are actually managing projects um who you know either are volunteering or working working for human nature projects and not necessarily working like on whatever your projects are if that makes sense not your volunteers but the people are actually like running the organization yeah, so
0: all of our national teams have their own structure. So they'll have a national director who reports to me and to the executive committee, uh, which is about a dozen people across all over the world, uh, engaging in different roles. Uh, but, yeah, so I, I speak with about fifteen national directors each week uh, or thereabouts, and I run uh, this executive committee of a dozen people on a similar time scale. So those are the sort of two core groups. Uh, but on the whole, it's fairly flat in structure, uh, which I think helps to uh, manage that volume of people. Yeah, it helps to uh, make them feel engaged and involved. Uh, they can reach out to me uh, through the sec- secretary uh, to ask any questions, very really provide feedback, which helps uh, to add some transparency yeah. uh, to operations have uh, but yeah it's so the national directors and the executive
1: <laughs> that's incredibly crazy. impressive Absolutely. to have have that much going and yeah yeah it's very impressive to have all that going in less than a year um <laughs> so <laughs> that's very cool so i am going to talk a little bit about your superpowers which right you know it's what you bring to the table every iconic hero has their own superpower whether that's fancy flying suit made by genius intellect or the ability to call down thunder from the sky in the real world, heroes have what I call a zone of genius. It's a skill or a set of skills that either you were born with or you developed over time. Um, that really helps energize all your other skills. Your the superpower is really what sets you apart and allows you to help you know slay the people's villains in their own lives and help come on top in their own journeys. So, with that framing, what do you think your superpower is that you bring to the Human Nature projects?
0: Ooh, what's my
1: superpower?
0: <laughs> I like, I like how you set that up. <laughs> I think for me, uh, what I enjoy most, uh, what certainly helps Human Nature Projects, is the storytelling element. So I speak of leadership as being able to tell your story, tell about this journey, this vision you have, and bring others with you. Uh, so having uh, that ability to communicate clearly um, where you're headed energise others, uh, inspire them uh, to join you on that journey uh, is something uh, which can be really challenging. So for me it's slightly paradoxical. I'm a born introvert. So I don't naturally take uh, to the whole leadership, uh, public speaking uh, domain of things uh, but uh, certainly developing that skill set of late you mentioned earlier I did that TEDx speech, spoken at various international conferences over this past year. Uh, so uh, learning all of that, uh, being able to communicate uh, with others, engage them in human nature projects, and outside, so with uh, some of our philosophies, some of our messaging reaching beyond, uh, then uh, that's been very, very powerful. Uh, I, th- I believe it's something which is uh, perhaps understated in this field, so in conservation, uh, and also more more broadly. Uh, so I speak of conservation as four Cs, uh, which is sort of our way at human nature projects of uh, communicating these people metrics we use. So four Cs, our connection, curiosity, creativity, and collaboration, uh, which are, I guess, four tenants of what we do. These uh, four standpoints we use to measure our progress, our engagement, uh, these philosophies we work with. And uh, that really, really helps uh, to uh, keep our, while is interested in what we do, uh, it helps to yeah. keep them part of the process. So uh, they're very much behind all of our projects and actions. Uh, they are at the heart of everything. And that's really, really powerful as a model. Uh, so yeah, yeah. I, I would hope uh, that my superpower is in storytelling and using that as a tool for community building.
1: Yeah. So I actually, uh, I grew up like you, right? I was I was a born introvert as well. Um, and had to learn the skills of, you know, to, I can pretend to be an extrovert really well now. Um, okay. And one of the things that uh, um, I have learned over the years is that the ability to communicate and talk with other people and tell stories and hear their stories is a skill set that you develop, and it's not dependent on whether or not you are an introvert or an extrovert, right? And the, the difference for me has always been understanding that, like, extroverts are going to get their energy from that communication, and introverts are going to have their energy sapped by that communication. So you have to just know that, hey, I'm going to go out and do this thing. I'm going to need to have rest periods built in. Whereas someone who's an extrovert is going to get energy from those kind of interactions. Um, so, you know, as someone who's been through the same path, just make sure you're building in rest periods after big speaking engagements or working with a whole group of people. Because, um, you know, you're obviously developing the skill set of the communication. Um, and then it's just learning how to manage your own energy levels that go along with it.
0: Uh, Definitely, definitely, certainly resonate with that. (laughs) i have been really, uh, really trying. Uh, I just started this podcast of mine, the Human Nature podcast. Uh, So uh, that's a whole new skill set I've had to learn along with this communication. Uh, But it's trying to, uh, yeah, build all of that in, uh, build as much engaging, optimistic messaging as possible, uh, whilst uh, realising that it is a trying process for me. It's not something I'm naturally drawn to. Yeah something
1: I can yeah yeah do my uh my other thought on that too is just the uh, the whole storytelling aspect we talk about this all the time on the hero show right so the whole hero show is really based on this idea that we can if we tell enough stories about you know modern day heroes that we can change the cultural narrative um, and the reason for that is that human beings are a, we're a story-born people right and so we connect with each other on stories, and we judge the depth and the breadth of our relationships based on the stories we have with each other. So I tell my my family and my kids and people I work with that uh, you know you can um, you know I have this little thing that is kind of fun. You you know an acquaintance is someone whose name you know but whose story you don't, right? And a friend might be someone whose name you know and you know a bit of their story, right? You know some of their stories, and a best friend. Is someone who you know their name and you know so many of their stories that the only way to get to know them better is to go out and create new stories together right to have experiences together and so you you judge your relationships based on stories right and you know I'm 35 I got a, a wife and my, my my wife and I laugh at each other all the time because it's like you know we can't tell each other any stories we haven't already heard so the only way that our relationship gets any closer is if we continue to go out and build stories together whether that's raising our family or adventuring or building businesses or whatever it is we're doing right even just going out to dinner and doing those things we have to create new stories um and so i always encourage people that to build relationships is first you have to learn how to listen and ask and de- delve into other people's stories and then learn to practice your own stories how to tell them and how to uh, to work on them um if you really want to build a relationship with someone, go out and adventure together, right? Go out and, and do something with someone else and actually build memories and build relationships that way. So um, I think you are spot on that stories are the key to growing any organization. Definitely. No, I love that. I love that imagery,
0: uh, storytelling central to all these relationships. You have to go out and make new stories. I think that's, that's a wonderful image I think of something yeah which i've certainly found it with yeah. hopefully over the next few years we'll see many many new stories develop and my experiences around human edge projects yeah yeah
1: we'll see so so i'm I'm goes. curious just from a from a marketing standpoint because of what you're doing some of the visual storytelling aspects might be a really cool way to uh to you know, start getting some of you know the videos and other things of like the projects that you're working on, and using those as marketing to attract more volunteers and maybe more donations and other things for crowdfunding and whatnot. So that'll be a, a whole new set of things to uh, figure out and master over the next couple of years. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, well, some of my background is in wildlife photography, filmmaking. And that's certainly where looking to head towards the future. Uh, so yeah, definitely try to build in some of those skills, that skill set and the podcast. It's another revenue generator uh, for human nature projects. So uh, that certainly assisted uh, hoping to uh, work with uh, the media working group. uh, So some of those uh, people with the background in uh, some of of that digital storytelling. uh, So some of the photography, uh, some of the uh, videography uh, to develop human nature projects, messaging, and hopefully, as you say, uh, drive new volunteers, drive new donations. Yeah,
1: yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I've, I've got like camera gear sitting all around on my desk around me here because like I am, I'm just as much into, uh, the photography stuff that, uh, um, as you are, I, do, uh, I do a little bit of the wildlife stuff, not professionally. It's just, uh, you know, I think animals are cool. So we take Pictures of them when I can. Um, but yeah, I have, my problem has always been with the photography set is cause I don't do it in any sort of professional capacity. Um, that I, I can't bring myself to spend the money on the nice gear that is required to do a um, really high-level uh, wildlife photography. Um, and so, so you know, you have, you have an advantage there in that you have an organization that requires really good visual storytelling. <laughs> so you might, you, you have an excuse to get the good gear.
0: <laughs> yes, yeah. Uh, what you mentioned earlier uh, is some of the moving into the workforce. So uh, my first job was with it so pizza maker pizza jade and uh, that was just to get this trophy gift so i spent three months working there <laughs> it came up in an interview uh, the other day actually but i hadn't considered it this way uh, the, the question was did that help me to know what i didn't want to do so push me further into environmentalism and i guess that is true uh, but it isn't something i thought of directly <laughs> i think I didn't have a particularly pleasant experience in that job. It did serve its purpose. So uh, three months on, I managed to get a nice 600mm telephoto lens. Uh, but yeah, it is a part those of Those are not journey. cheap. It, yeah, yeah, it's just behind me, actually. Uh, but yeah, I, it, I love photography. I love those digital storytelling mediums. And uh, that was uh, a big step for me. Uh, it certainly helped in this journey. Being able to have that to draw upon and hoping to make it more integral to that into the future,
1: yeah, yeah. You'll also have to uh, start working out to hold the uh, 600 mil lens up. So, (laughs) yes, (laughs) those things are what like 12 14 pounds almost, it's proper heavy, yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess you guys don't do pounds over there, you would do kilograms. No, no, (laughs) I think my
0: kids. Is about five kilos, six kilos.
1: Yeah. yeah. Conversions. It's heavy. <laughs> yeah. So I want to talk about the power flaw, right? So, you know, everyone has his kryptonite. You know, and every Wonder Woman can't remove her bracelets of three without going mad. So you probably have a flaw that has held you back in growing your organization. Something that you struggled with. Maybe some of the things that I struggled with: perfectionism kept me from shipping. Um, lack of self care, which means that I let clients walk all over me, um, or something like being a visionary, right? Where. Um, you, you know what you want to do, but then lacking the discipline to do the actual minutia to implement something, which is also, they're all solvable things, but they're all problems that I've struggled with. Um, you know, but I think more important than what the flaw that you've run into is, is how have you worked on overcoming it so you can continue to grow and continue to reach your own vision? And hopefully sharing that will help someone in our audience who struggles with the same thing learn from your experience.
0: Yeah, I think uh, one of the major challenges I had to overcome, at least initially, was the self-confidence. So, I mentioned it was in January. I had the idea of human nature projects, uh, but I didn't start it until late, late June, early July. Uh, so, it took a long, long time uh, for me to work up uh, some of that confidence, some of uh, that groundwork until I felt ready uh, to start that venture. It was a major new chapter in my life. And for uh, several months after that, I was working very, very long hours uh, with almost no breaks, uh, just Setting it up and just bringing in some of those early volunteers, uh, setting up all these processes, establishing uh, some of the workflows necessary to see that organization uh, thrive uh, but for me, yeah, it was very much about realizing I could do this, I could uh, set out uh, with such a grand vision I had no idea that it would be so successful. I set some ambitious goals and we actually surpassed them uh, very early on uh, but uh, that it was it w- was a major process for me uh, trying to find that in myself to be able to uh, communicate clearly such an ambitious, such a, I like to say, a pioneering uh, agenda uh, for an organisation, especially working uh, with youth in that youth space, uh, which itself is quite groundbreaking. It's a new uh, region of uh, conservation, environmentalism, and trying to... Work across country borders, across generations, across languages, cultures. It's definitely a process you have to work up to. So, that was one thing which definitely helped me back initially. And I think the second part to that is having uh, the confidence to delegate as well. I think, quite similar to yourself, I'm somewhat of a perfectionist. So, I i didn't naturally take to delegating some of those responsibilities off. I. I much like to do all my correspondence, uh, do all my uh, messaging myself, uh, do all this whole organization in a new time uh, uh, without uh, drawing on uh, the advice and support of others. Uh, but I've gained I get a lot uh, from the mentorship and the support I received uh, throughout this process. So, working now very closely with the executive committee, with the national directors uh, to share thoughts, share resources, share ideas. And some of the power behind that has been quite incredible for me to see.
1: Yeah, yeah. And uh, you, it, it took you a lot less time to figure out you needed to delegate than it took me, right? It took me like nine years. And I was like, no, I can do it all myself. And you figured it out in nine months. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's probably why your organization has grown, grown so fast. Um, you learned some of those lessons quick um and and move on um which is a, a useful thing so i uh, just curious question in all this you mentioned you know working long hours and doing all these things but all this time in, um are you still uh doing schooling as well like is primary 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 education still on your plate or did you finish early like how did how's that going yeah i'm um, last year of high school right now actually so i finished uh, major
0: exams in mid-november so very much under the pump now. Regard is sort of my day job, the academics, uh, keeping uh, whatever I can from environmentalism uh, on the side with the early mornings, the late evenings, trying to fit it all in. Uh, it's not an easy juggle, not an easy balance to keep, uh, but I manage it. I think uh, the secret behind it is I love what I do, uh, so I'm happy to put in the hours, happy to put in the hard work to
1: see that it succeeds, uh, which is. For and and I I assume I assume your uh, your parents are supportive in this because otherwise it would be almost impossible.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, broadly speaking, they uh, I'm actually literate um, from that background, so very uh, fortunate that they have some understanding of what I'm up to, uh, that they're able to appreciate support in some ways uh, that process. But yeah,
1: they probably still think you're a little bit nuts, but that's okay. My parents still think I'm nuts yes so uh i want to talk a little bit about your common enemy right and uh you know we say every every superhero has an arch nemesis right it's a thing they're constantly having to fight against in their world right in the world of business it takes on many forms but generally speaking we put in the context of your clients. And since you're in a, you know, a non-for-profit space to be like the organizations that you're working with, or the, you know, the the volunteers you're trying to get, or the, you know, the the governments that you're working with, whatever it is. Um, And it's generally, it's a mindset, or it's a flaw, or it's something that you're constantly having to struggle to overcome, right? And if you had your, your magic wand, and you could just go into a new situation, and, you know, bop it on the head with your magic wand and make that go away. What is that thorn in your side, your arch nemesis, so to speak, that is? you're constantly having to fight against to get the results you're trying to get?
0: Yeah, uh, well, it's a big question. Obviously, there's a whole plethora of environmental issues that we're trying to tackle. Uh, where you are, US, where I am, Australia, uh, some of the two worst countries for uh, such measures, second and third most endangered plant species. So <laughs> there's there's a long way to come. Uh, but the way I frame it is a big the evil villain we're trying to overcome is in human nature, so how we view our places, humanity as people on this planet I think something which is really important to realise and which has been lacking over the 50, 60 years of conservation to date has been some of that perspective shift some of the shift in the mindset uh, to realise that we as humans are doing injustice on the world, we're uh, not respecting our place in these natural systems, we're not uh, understanding how much we're reliant on nature. I think I think COVID in many ways has been a somewhat a mixed blessing in that respect, and that yeah, despite all the damage it's caused, so it has shown us uh, just how uh, connected we are with these natural systems. So uh, being a zoonotic disease coming from this illegal wildlife trade, bats, I've heard pangolins, also implicated... Uh, that means uh, that finally we come to realize uh, just how deeply, intimately connected we are uh, with the health
1: and the state of ecosystems. Uh, so
0: I think... Yeah, yeah.
1: There's, there's a lot of responsibility that comes with yeah. being at the top of that chain, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I think it'll be a long journey uh, to get to this new nature, this new human nature we're working towards. Uh, but the end goal uh, is to uh, respect uh, a sense of uh, equity, of equality uh, between uh, humans and animals, uh, and equal rights uh, to be on this planet, itself. Uh, but also how heavily reliant we are uh, on nature. It's about 40% of GDP from um, natural services, uh, 80% of the sustainable development goals are heavily, heavily reliant on us halting biodiversity loss. So, I think if we are to move forward as a society and as uh, humankind, uh, then we very much need mm-hmm. to tackle our mental issues alongside social and cultural ones.
1: Absolutely. The Hero Show will be right back. Hey there, fellow podcaster. Having a weekly audio and video show on all the major online networks that builds your brand, creates fame, and drives sales for your business doesn't have to be hard. The struggle ends now. Introducing Push Button Podcasts, a done-for-you service that will help you get your show out every single week without you lifting a finger after you've pushed that stop record button. We handle everything else, uploading, editing, transcribing, writing, research, graphics, publication, and promotion, all done by real humans who know, understand, and care about your brand almost as much as you do empowered by our own proprietary technology our team will let you get back to doing what you love while we handle the rest check us out at pushbuttonpodcast.com forward slash hero for 10 percent off the lifetime of your service with us and see the power of having an audio and video podcast growing and driving micro celebrity status and business in your niche without you having to lift more than a finger to push that stop record button again that's pushbuttonpodcast.com forward slash hero see you there now back to the hero show. So the flip side then, which I think your last statement really drives into, is your your driving force, right? Um, and you know, if your common enemy is the thing you're fighting against, which you've mentioned, you know, our human nature and not understanding our place in that role, um, you know, the your driving force is what you're fighting for, right? So just like Spider-Man fights to save New York or Batman fights to save Gotham or Google fights to index and categorize all the world's information. What is it that you are fighting for with the Human Nature Project?
0: Yeah, uh, yeah, so uh, we've talked uh, bits and pieces sort of, sort of circling All around this point. Uh, yeah. Human nature is fighting for a, a world view in which humans and animals can thrive and coexist. Uh, definitely what drives me is a mixture between the two. So working with uh, many inspiring leaders... Inspiring individuals across so many countries, speaking to them a dozen countries daily is incredibly motivating, and also having uh, those opportunities to connect with the animals themselves. And so, I still do animal rescues and rehab here in Sydney. And so, being able to build strong relationships, forge those bonds with the living creatures is an incredible, it's life changing experience. Uh, so, the human nature projects, driving force is to be an enabler for that, giving people those opportunities to uh, reconnect with nature uh, where we can try to educate, so a decrease what is a widening knowledge gap uh, where it comes to what we don't know about the natural world, and ultimately uh, provide that entry point into the field, which unfortunately uh, is lacking, so yeah, it's it's the stories behind the volunteers we work with is what keeps me going, what keeps major projects rolling forward. It's some incredible, incredible people who have joined that network and
1: fighting day in, day out to make it succeed. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it just, reminds me of something else that, uh, um, cause you know you're talking about like the things that you guys are working towards um, and really understanding our place. One of the things that I, uh, I've been really fascinated with and if we ever decide as a family to settle down at some point and, you know, purchase land and do any of those things instead of the traveling life we're doing now um, is uh, looked into uh, sustainable farming. Right. Um, okay. And uh, so we uh, um, just watched a documentary, which I don't know if you've seen yet. Um, it's out on Netflix called uh, the, the biggest little farm. Um, and it's about a, it's about a 200 acre farm in California here in the U S um, that they purchased. And it was all dead right everything was dead and they came in and they started uh growing all of the stuff in nature the way that it would grow like normally with a very minimal human footprint um okay. you know some organization things like yep. that but like learning how to like if you have if you have chickens you don't put up fences and shoot all the coyotes you get you know you get dogs that you teach how to protect the chickens um and there's there's like this whole and they, they talk about all the different systems and stuff like that um but everything from you know they've got snails that are eating their fruits so they bring in ducks and they put in a duck pond um and like learning how to actually use nature to take care of itself right And to actually build the ecosystem, Um, and it was really, really fascinating to see that, like, you know, the gophers came and the wolves came, or the coyotes came, and but it also, you know, they started bringing in bats, bringing in owls, and bringing in other things, and like you start seeing, like, like, once they built all of this system up over seven to ten years, their production is like two or three or four or five times what you know the you know line agricultural machine farming is. So significantly more production out of the same land. And then the land is healthier, the animals are healthier they're all sort of living in harmony with those things um and the uh like when they had all the big fires that happened a couple of years ago, the fires went all around their farm because their farm was fine, like it can handle itself it had a good water table and their plants and everything were good it wasn't yeah. all dried out it wasn't it wasn't you know uh, it hadn't been destroyed by the way that we're trying to do it with machines and you know single crop farming and that kind of stuff um and it's just really fascinating to see that like there's there actually is already proven paths forward in things like how can humans feed ourselves with this interaction with to the nature and how can we take care of the animals and be a part of the be a part of the solution instead of a part of the problem so
0: no definitely i think it's really really interesting at uh, that
1: point to bring up
0: uh, just how uh, we've developed uh, these big machine agriculture systems and now Increasing is our knowledge improves as we develop new concepts, new ideas. We're just seeing a reversal, moving back towards more traditional methods, realising that they were actually very effective because we were doing them alongside nature as opposed to working against it. So all these permaculture techniques, which can uh, drive really efficient uh, but also healthy farms, uh, can be really interesting to look into. Uh, you reminded me of another story where I am, So here in Sydney or Australia's east coast, uh, there was a wonderful story of a little penguin colony. So these were being uh, preyed upon uh, by some of the introduced pests, uh, heavily, heavily under threat. Uh, But their solution to that was to uh, train uh, a group of German shepherd dogs to protect them. So it's something you would never, never think of. I mean... If, if you were going about it, you'd set up security cameras, you'd see what was going on, you'd realise lots uh, sort of rats, lots of cats uh, preying on these birds. But then, to, to introduce dogs into this system, to train them, to respect them, to imagine that they could coexist with penguins in such a harmonious way, which ultimately is unnatural, but to realise that that's possible
1: is incredibly visionary. So... That was so sad. So yeah, yeah. that's what they did with the uh, the dogs and the chickens. Yeah, they they got the they they trained their dogs to uh, to take care of you know their 200 plus chickens, kept them from getting eaten by raccoons and um, you know birds of prey and uh, and coyotes and everything, which was really cool. <laughs> definitely, definitely. So I want to talk a little bit about uh, your own personal heroes, right? So we say every hero has their own personal mentors, just like Frodo had Gandalf, or Luke had Obi Wan Kenobi, or Robert Kiyosaki had his rich dad. Or Spider-Man had his Uncle Ben, right? Who are some of your heroes? Were they real-life mentors, maybe speakers, authors, peers who were a couple of years ahead of you? And how important were they to what you've accomplished so far in such little time for what you've uh, what you've already done? Yeah, have uh, well,
0: uh, many heroes, uh, many people, uh, both alive and dead, who inspired me. Uh, one who I jumped on very early uh, is Steve Parrish, who's probably Australia's foremost photographer. Uh, But he invited me up, actually, to a weekend masterclass of his up in Queensland, so uh, north coast and northeast. And what he showed me over that time, I spent lodging with him in the studio, uh, seeing his workflow and hearing his teachings. He showed me this creative life purpose of his, uh, which I found really, really touching. Uh, It's basically his way of communicating like an overarching vision for what he does, so his work is all about using nature as a solution to mental health issues, uh, being able to communicate that message, connect people, and ultimately decrease the prevalence of these conditions in our society. Uh, so that really touched me, and that led me to uh, forming some of my own uh, worldview, some of these uh, philosophy of mine, some others, uh, Gerald Dowell, a wonderful conservationist, author, uh, communicator, storyteller, <laughs> really influential in the sort of conservation optimism movements. So, uh, reframing environmentalism in a very positive light, uh, similar to what you're doing with entrepreneurship, uh, but trying to frame the issue as positive as opposed to a negative. Uh, so, mm-hmm. uh, the world's not collapsing, but there is all these people trying to save it. And I try to look at things that way. Jane Goodall, I think she's an incredible woman. Uh, still alive just uh, likewise with Attenborough, uh, both them um, pioneers, leaders in this movement. Uh, Goodall of course very influential in reframing how we look at ourselves as humans and Attenborough opening up environmentalism to many, many more people. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> there have been many, many amazing people who I look up to. I just hope uh, that my generation, the upcoming leaders, can your left footsteps in advance, of course, because uh, there's some big footsteps following.
1: Yeah, well, I think if uh, you and my son are any indicator of what the next generation is like, I think we're on a good path. <laughs> yes, <laughs> uh, we hope. So, I want to talk a little bit about your guiding principles, right? So, one of the things that makes heroes heroic is they live by a code. Um, for instance, Batman never kills his enemies; he only ever brings them to Arkham Asylum. So, as we wrap up the interview. I want to talk about top one or two principles that you use regularly in your life every day. You know, Maybe something that you wish you'd known when you first started out on your own hero's journey.
0: Yeah, uh, I think for me, it comes very much down to uh, this authenticity as a leader. I think that's something I find very, very important. So being able to be very open, uh, very plain, clear, vulnerable even at times about what's going on for yourself, being able to tell that to others, open up, uh, being able to hear their responses, work with them efficiently, as as, uh, as a leader in the truest sense, uh, that can be really powerful. It's something I've struggled with uh, tremendously. Uh, but we talked earlier about storytelling, uh, so telling your story, uh, but being true to it, being true to yourself uh, throughout this journey as a leader, uh, working through these issues alongside others, uh, has been a principle I've striven very hard to work towards. And, we started out uh, this interview uh, i mentioned uh, i vision, so reframing the human relationship with nature uh, so over the course of that uh, seeing how it's evolved seeing uh, what i've done what i've driven to do to further that cause then i've uh, been very true to that mission as well uh, being true to some of my goals in that space are working towards milestones uh, seeing whether or not i made them but in either way learning that the process it's, yeah uh, that's
1: how i tackle it yeah yeah authenticity is a, a hard thing to grasp um, a lot of people don't even they're not even authentic with themselves right it's a hard thing to uh, to tell yourself the truth but then also to tell others um and move move forward and actually you know you mentioned being vulnerable that's a hard thing to do um and you know something that i know i've struggled with you know in growing my business and you know being the ceo of a small team um, and learning to be like hey here's where we're at here's what we're struggling with here's what we need to work on these kind of things it's a it's a difficult place to be but um, it's it's how you grow right um, and it's how you grow in your you know relationships with your kids and you know with my my wife i know you know occasionally i screw up and you know, uh, I have to apologize to my children, and that's a hard thing to do too, right? So it's like it's it's one of those those being authentic and being vulnerable is is a uh, is a hard skill to master, um, but it allows you to be a good leader in whatever space you're in, right? Whether that's leader of your family or leader of your organization, or uh, you know, leader of a a, a conservation group <laughs> that's working in 105 countries, which is super cool. So, um, that basically, you know, wraps up our interview, but I do have one little thing I do at the end of all of our interviews, um, that is, uh, it's a selfish thing I do for myself. Um, and I call it the Heroes challenge and I do this basically to get access to stories that I might miss out on otherwise. So the question is pretty simple. Do you have someone in your life or in your network, um, that you think has a cool entrepreneurial story? Who are they? names are fine and why do you think they should come share their story here with the hero show
0: yeah it's, it's a really good question and it's one i had to think for a few minutes about actually uh, because i do work with some really inspiring people uh, but the one who i eventually settled on who came to mind is someone who i've spoken to uh, very briefly uh, but hoping to continue to do so in the future I'm actually interviewing him next week on my own podcast it's called will Reynolds and really really interesting story, uh, working at the intersection of technology and environmentalism, uh, so moving uh, from some quite large corporate work, working uh, with big names in the space, uh, to uh, starting up some of his own ventures, starting up uh, these ideas, these ventures, with uh, with a goal towards trying to create accessibility and environmentalism to help everyone know how they can contribute to provide actions uh, realizable goals for them to do so so really really interesting story he's got
1: and that would be my answer i think Awesome. So we'll reach out afterwards and see if we can uh, um, connect with with him. Um, and, you know, then we have our, our classic send-off, right? In comic books, there's always the crowd who is uh, standing around clapping for the acts of heroism for the, the hero who saved all their lives or stopped the train or whatever it is. So as we close, what I want to know is where people can find you. Right, if they want to be a part of the conservation efforts that you're doing, if they want to volunteer in whatever country they're in, or if maybe they want to um, work in the organization, or something like that, where can they find you? Where can they listen to you? Where can they light up the bat signal, so to speak, and be like, "Hey, you know what? I would like to be a part of changing this conversation um, with uh, you know how human nature interacts with uh, with you know Mother Nature," I guess. Um, so, where can they where can they go to find you? Yeah, uh, you can find out more about me at my website,
0: which is Elliot Connor dot com you can visit my charity's website which is human nature projects dot org or you can find out my new podcast which is called human nature i just search that up in your favorite podcast directory
1: awesome so thank you so much for coming on elliot has been a pleasure speaking with you and hearing your story and getting a uh, idea of what it is that you're doing um so what I want to uh, uh, do real quick is just um, ask you one last thing. Do you have any final words of wisdom for our audience of entrepreneurs, um, for you know people who are looking to maybe start an organization and might be you know like you, young and you know full of ideas, um, but realize that you know you can actually do this? Do you have any final words of wisdom for uh, for us? Ooh, I think my words of wisdom would be simple: do it.
0: <laughs> I think uh, very much if you take that leap of faith, uh, step out there. Uh, trying to take in some of what we've discussed of course this show, uh, be authentic, tell your story and uh, try and ultimately achieve this vision of yours as a leader, uh, then uh, the only thing you can do is start out, uh, make mistakes, learn from them and see where it leads. Because ultimately, especially in COVID times, it can be hard to know uh, where things are going to end up. Uh, say, you've nature projects, I could not have predicted uh, where we'd be now where we will be in five months time so start out have this vision set goals and work work your ass off to achieve them because that's the only way you're going to progress
1: absolutely so you heard him if you're uh, thinking about starting something uh, just do it Um, Elliot thank you so much for coming on the show really appreciate it